This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back to the Nevers Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the discussion and dissection of every episode of upcoming HBO series, The Nevers, from writer-director Joss Whedon. You can download and stream our episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or like and subscribe on YouTube. Better yet, visit us at hbothenevers.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube at HBO The Nevers. If you have any comments, questions or topic suggestions, send them to the Nevers Podcast at gmail.com. And if you really want to show some love, consider Patreon. Benefits include personalised shoutouts on the podcast, access to our VIP Facebook group, Nevers Podcast swag, entry into our amazing giveaways and access to Dollhouse Awaken, our bi-weekly show where we revisit every episode of Dollhouse. And there's a lot more to come. Just search The Nevers Podcast Patreon. I'm Tyke, and joining me today are Heather. Hi. <laughs> and Gina. Hey. <laughs> What's been going on with you guys since the last time we recorded? I've had allergies for, for a solid week. It has been awful. I, like... I don't even know what to do with myself anymore. I'm so tired of sneezing. My nose is the size of Texas. I mean, I just, uh, I don't know what's going on with the pollen in America, but it's all up my nose. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh. worse and I get sinus headaches, so I can't even like concentrate or do anything. No, I do too. I've got sinuses as we speak right now, so... So it's, and I didn't want to take, you know, I didn't want to take anything for it because it tends to make me sleepy and knock me out. And so, yeah, that wouldn't be good. Um, we, I do have, um, a correction from the last podcast, which it's not news, but, um, Ella Smith, who plays Desiree Blodgett, who, um, what it plays, um, one of the characters in the Nevers, I kept calling, calling her Ella Bell, which is her social media handle. And her name is Uh. Ella Smith. So apologies to Ella. Yeah, I haven't I haven't really been up to much. Uh, the weather has become much, much hotter in England, which is not good because we're, we're good with kind of temperate and rainy. We're not good with hot and muggy. We The country as a whole grinds to a halt. And as we'd already ground to a halt, we have actually now started just going back in time. We're going so slowly. So, yeah, not good. What's the, what's the definition of hot in England, Tyke? Uh, see, this is the point where if, if my brain was working properly, I'd say a famous celebrity that's very attractive but i can't and my brain is shut down <laughs> if i can't think of it. um i'd say that the definition of hot i mean this week it's been kind of the lowest it's been is about 26 which i now remember you guys don't use that <laughs> temperature scale in america so um i think it peaked at about 32 in the city Ew. which isn't actually that hot but because the humidity is mm. really high it just makes everything worse like i've been soggy for the past week just because of the humidity Ugh. Oh, humidity's the worst. That's why I yeah. love Denver. Yeah. Oh, so 32 is almost 90. Okay, yeah, that's okay. that's hot. It's, yeah. It's been 
That's hot. 90. Especially with humidity. That's hot. Oof. Yeah. I'm I'm from Florida, so it's literally a swamp. So it's hot yes. and it's super humid. Ooh. I feel for you. Um, yeah, I haven't been up to uh, much either. Just trying to finish the script rewrite. Um, do you guys like rewriting or do you like writing the first draft more? I, I tend to start writing, get about three quarters of the way through, get distracted by a second project and start working on that and forget the first one ever existed. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> accurate. And it's just a constant. I like... I- my writing and rewriting is weird. I write, 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 and then I'll go back. I won't finish and I'll go back and reread and I'll start rewriting while I'm in process. And then I'll finish and then I'll go back and tear it all apart. So it's all kind of the same thing to me. I mean, I, I recognize the value of rewriting. Like no one ever has a good first draft. That's just, you know, anybody that thinks they do is not a, not a good critical yeah. writer. Yeah. Yeah. So I've I've always been a fan of the sort of the idiom that the first draft is just about getting it on the page. The second right. draft is about getting it right. Mm-hmm. I tend to I tend to write with outlines. I start with an outline and then I fill it in because I have to. Yeah, I have to have like milestones. All right, let's get into the discussion. This is um, the music of the Whedonverse for television and film score junkies. A discussion on the varied musical styles of um, Joss Whedon's many projects. Disclaimer. These are the songs and scores that the Nevers podcast team considers the most memorable in the Whedonverse. Your list may differ, and we fully recognize and respect that music is very subjective. Mm. Um, There were many songs and scores that could have made it into the list, but we didn't want to be here forever, and we're going to be here for a while anyway, so we tried (laughs) to keep it to a minimum. Um, Yes. So, you know, accept our apologies if we don't talk about your favorite moment. Yeah, because honestly, we could spend like at least 10 hours. Um, (laughs) The first type of projects that we're going to delve into is television. So the music from the television side of the Whedonverse. And we have to start with the one and only Buffy the Vampire Slayer theme song. Yeah, and and Buffy's going to be the longest longest part because Buffy was on for seven years Buffy had a had a bar with a band bands that played, so it'll be the majority of what we cover. Oh man, I don't really like Buffy, so this that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gina, what are you even doing exactly. here? Exactly. <laughs> So the theme song was performed by Nerf Herder, also covered by the Breeders. Uh, So they were formed in 1994 in Santa Barbara, California, by Perry Grip, Charlie Dennis, and Steve Sherlock. That's the coolest name. Uh, They describe themselves (laughs) as a geek rock band and are known for simplistic modern punk style songs with frequently humorous juvenile and pop culture referencing lyrics. 
They performed their songs, Mr. Spock and Rock City News, the night that Faith took Don and the potential Slayers to the Bronze in Season 7. I did not know that. Um, also, really quick, weird side note. Um, my sister and I got chosen to perform at Music Festival at San Diego Comic-Con a few years ago, and we have a few Buffy songs, and we messaged Nerf Herder if they would, like, just, like, not like open for us, of course not, because they're already performing in the same music festival, but just kind of like if they introed us with the Buffy theme song, that would be the coolest thing ever. Um, it didn't happen, <laughs> but I'm glad I had the courage to try and have that happen. Oh, that's that's dope. That would have been cool. <laughs> right. Maybe one day, you know. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to start off with um, the, the songs. And, and because Buffy had the bronze, um, a lot of bands that were up, or, up and coming, especially in the L.A. area at that time, played the bronze. Um, about the performances at the bronze, music supervisor John King said that we we like to uh, use unsigned bands that you would believe that would play the place. So they didn't, you know, they didn't want powerhouse acts. They wanted people that would, you know, be on the L.A. bar scene touring or the California bar scene. Technically, Sunnydale wasn't L.A. Uh, so one of the, one of the first, I think in, uh, the pack, a, a band called Sprung Monkey played, um, several songs at, uh, at the bronze and Sprung Monkey was, um, kind of the same, uh, flavor as, um, they were kind of punk and a little bit of rap. So, uh, their big moment came when the pack entered the bronze and they were playing, um, and so everybody remembers when, you know, Xander was hanging out with those those four people that were not very nice and, you know, came into the bronze, making fun of everybody and picking on everybody and all, you know, good times. I've got to say, uh, the pack contains one of my favorite musical scenes, possibly in the entirety of Buffy. It's that point. It's just after they've been turned where they're, they're hungry and they're looking, they're walking yes. across the quads in, yes. in the high school yes. and the music, kind of, it builds, it builds and then it just stops dead for a second and you see them walking and then it kind of kicks in again with this massive drop. Yeah. So, it, such a beautiful, beautiful scene. Yeah, it is. And the camera kind of does that traverse mm. around mm. Xander who's kind of looking around like he doesn't really know who he is yet. And uh, yeah, that's a really great moment. I meant to put that in there and spaced it. Uh, Dingo's, uh, Dingo's Ate My Baby was uh, Oz's band that played the bronze several times. Um, uh, Four Star Mary was the actual band that played for them. Um, so anytime you saw Dingo's Ate My Baby playing, it was actually Four Star Mary. And they actually had their own song, Pain, appear in uh, several episodes. They liked that song for some reason. <laughs> um, it's a great song. Like it, That's one of the songs that's on the Buffy soundtrack. And also the Breeders song, Gina, is on that soundtrack too. Um, Darling Violetta appeared in uh season three faith hope trick also composed uh the uh angel theme song so that's pretty interesting they played blue sun biff naked she was a punk chick with like huge arms and all these tattoos yeah so she she was in season four harsh light of day uh she played lucky moan of weakness and anything at a uc sunnydale party that buffy goes to with parker gross Jonathan Levinson, uh, who in Superstar was the star of the show, he uh, he performed Hey Sunny, Serenade in Blue, and Trapped in uh, Superstar. The band was the Royal Crown Review with Brad Kane, um, who played Tucker Wells, Andrew's brother, in The Prom that released The Dogs on The Prom. He was the actual singer of those songs. 
And that was a really, you know, that was a really great scene where people were dancing and, and, you know, Jonathan, everybody was like, oh, I just saw something off the new album. And- <laughs> uh, I love that episode. Uh, Amy Mann, uh, who was uh, also famous for being the lead singer for Till Tuesday. She played the, she played the club, uh, she played bronze in season seven Sleeper and played This Is How It Goes and Pavlov's Bell. Uh, she is the only real act to ha- ever have dialogue in the episode. Um, she said, man, I hate playing vampire towns. <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered, there's there's a few kind of references outside of the Scoobies to the idea that actually everyone was kind of aware of what was going on in Sunnydale. There, there was that line. And then um, I think it was the end of season two. Well, it, it was when Spike attacks the school on parents night and afterwards you see snyder talking to it's either the police or the ambulance man and he's like oh let's just say the usual story you know thugs or gang members on pcp he's like what we're gonna do tell them the truth mm, right yeah so i was wondering like that does really imply that snyder knew about vampires and knew that sunnydale was just a hotbed of disaster so why was he still such a dick to buffy <laughs> He must have known she was sort of fighting for them. And obviously there's the Class Protector Award. Best moment in that series. Season, sorry. So, like, it's clear that everyone knew what was going on. But why was he still such a dick to her? Well, I feel like also at the end of season two when he was, you know, talking about all that mess was, you know, he was also making way for the the mayor, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think, you know, he just... Snyder had so many problems. <laughs> <laughs> like he had, he was just, he was evil. The, the breeders, uh, season seven, him, uh, played little fury and son of three. They play the bronze while John, uh, Dawn is flirting with RJ, you know, uh, who was actually, I guess, turned out to be a vampire and was trying to get his fangs into her. Um, uh, the, the funny thing I read about the breeders uh, playing the bronze is, you know, Kim Deal was one of the founding members of the Pixies. Um, and you can imagine how wild that was. So her and her sister started the breeders after she left the Pixies. Uh, they're twins, Gina. I don't Ooh, know if you knew that or not. No. Kim and Kelly Dill are twins. Um, and the breeders have a great catalog, but they are also, for a while, were huge party animals. And I read that they had such a hard time keeping the band on track filming their appearance because they loved Buffy and they wanted to be in it, which is why they covered the theme song. But they were drinking and smoking weed and running around. And it, they said it took them a whole day to get the shot because the breeders oh were just God. out of control. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, you're only going to be in that situation once, especially if you behave like that. So like, you've, you've got to make the most of your appearance on such a legend. Like, by that point, that, oh, that was season seven. Yeah. 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 By that point, we, we knew that Buffy was, A, coming to an end, and B, just this entertainment juggernaut. I'm pretty sure if I was on the show, I would be exactly the same. <laughs> I can't really hold it against them. Well, and I mean, you know, if you're talking about, you know, Kim Deal and the Pixies, like, it was actually a get for Buffy. Like, they started getting some really important acts in the last couple of seasons, which kind of belied, you know, who the bronze would normally have. But, you know, so... I thought it was, they apparently must have made the request because I don't think the music supervisors would have asked them. You know what I mean? Because they were just too big of an act. 
other interesting moments, memorable songs, um, of course, Dashboard Prophets, Ballad, Ballad for Dead Friends, season one in the slow-mo yeah. uh, when Darla and her gang roll up to the bronze. I thought that was amazing. Yes. It was the whole Reservoir Dogs kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know the pack is obviously number one. I think that would definitely be a number two kind of musical cue. Right, for, right. Yeah, that was a brilliant, brilliant scene. Yeah, when that happened, I was like, hey, you know what? I, I could be into this show. Mm-hmm. They, they get the music <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> also, the infamous uh, Chiba Mato played Sugar Water in season two when she was bad, when Buffy returned after being murdered and resurrected after fighting the master. And apparently she's got some issues to work out. So she's... <laughs> She uh, starts grinding all up on Xander in front of Angel while the song plays. And it's one of the iconic Buffy moments with Sarah getting down, you know, and everybody was like, what is the matter with her? god i when season two started that way because my friend josh he's the one that showed my sister and i buffy he was like oh season two is when it really starts i'm like yeah sure and when season two started that way and buffy's doing things like that i'm like oh okay this is how oh, the season's go. gonna go all right <laughs> so good <sighs> so how was it for you tig were you just like whoa <laughs> uh yeah that was that was what you call a uh, cushion on the trousers moment <laughs> An excellent scene, a very, a very memorable scene from my, uh, oh my, my childhood there. <laughs> and and I'm sorry, really, really quick. I'm one of those weird people that really felt bad for Xander that Buffy didn't like him. Oh yeah. So okay, see, I'm not that weird. Um, so I love that moment that she's just uh, dancing with him because the audience, the characters, everyone's like, what? And then, oh yeah. And, and I'm a Buffy Angel girl, so like any conflict with Buffy and Angel is like amazing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> see, and I felt sorry drama. for Xander. In, I felt sorry for Xander in that scene because it gave him false hope. Like, mm. and she was using him to get to Angel, and, yeah. and I felt like that was not fair of her. The complication of that is amazing, but yeah. I can you could just see on Xander's face. He, first, he was confused, and then he was like, "Go with it," yeah. and then he, you know, then he realized he was getting he was being punked if you will (laughs) speaking of sexy girls dancing chinese burn uh was the song that buffy and faith buffy threw caution to the wind and started partying with faith that was the big kind of industrial electronica song they were dancing to on the dance floor with all the boys and just getting completely wild the band was called curvin was uh pretty popular in the 90s, um, that song apparently was in X-Men in their uh, promotional trailer and was used in La Femme Nikita, too. So cool. That was a dope scene. Like, I, w- I went a little gay while that was going on. <laughs> I was like, oh, lordy. And I read that Sarah said she had the best time cutting loose in that scene with Faith, with Eliza, because, you know, usually she's, you know, Buffy's the the prim and proper and she said she had a she had a really good time like just tearing it up okay uh so we're gonna go to season three the prom now everyone knows this heartbreaking moment um wild wild horses was sung by the sundays which is one of my favorite bands of all time i love them they are out of the uk they covered the rolling stones um song that's who originated it. Um, and it was when Buffy, Buffy dances with Angel before Angel dips and goes to LA. 
a sad but necessary scene. I was so heartbroken for her. Oh. Just rip my heart out and throw it on the floor and stomp on it. Like, disappeared into the fog. I mean, you know, and they just given her class protector like Ty Egg was talking about earlier. And, you know, then he shows up. And I don't know, like, would it have been better if he just left? Like, I felt like it gave her a little bit of false hope. So uh, in season four, when Veruca showed up, her band, Shy, uh, distracted Oz to the point of, of you know, just un- unable to focus on anything, including Willow around him. The band that uh, did the music for Shy was called THC, and I didn't know that until I put part of this show together. And it was obvious to Willow that he was sexually attracted to the lead singer. And it turns out later it's because Veruca was a werewolf. But I remember watching her sing that first song where, you know, Oz was just like, bah, just completely <laughs> locked onto her. And she had so much lip gloss on <laughs> <laughs> while she was singing and just being completely provocative. And I was worried about her getting it all in the mic. It was... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the world is different today, but there's been way too many bars that I've sung at where I've put my mouth right on the mic. And like looking back at it, I'm like, wait a minute, I should not have done that. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I just that whole that whole scene was so sexual. I felt like like she was uh, I mean, I'm sure she was making an effort to to be as provocative as she could and it worked and just poor Oz was like dumbstruck and I was waiting for Willow to just wave a hand in front of his <laughs> face and be like are you still here behind blue eyes Giles performed uh perform was performing in the co- the espresso pump the gang came to find him and thought he was having coffee and <laughs> ran in and there he was playing and it, it, it was so funny because it reminded me of High Fidelity. So this is one of my favorite movies. And they go to a bar and Lisa Bonet is playing Baby I Love Your Way, right? And him and Jack Black and Todd Lisa are standing there. And they go, oh, you really used to hate this song. Now I kind of love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I got that sense where they stumbled in and they were like, for a minute, they didn't know what to do with Giles singing. And then all of a sudden the girls were like, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. It must be a kind of hard if you have a cast that is so talented. Like, obviously, Josh probably obviously knew that Anthony Sewerhead was a great singer and musician. So it must be hard to figure out ways to get him to sing where it actually makes sense. And I think this was a, an amazing way to do that. It, it made perfect sense. And I was so happy when I first saw it. I'm like, oh, Giles is so dreamy. And now he's even more dreamy. I didn't need this, but here we are. <laughs> Devix, who played Key um, in... Season five, Crush, they are playing the bronze uh, while Spike and Drusilla do the slow roll in and grab mm-hmm. a couple and bite them and all that good stuff. So that's a really, you know, Key is one of those seminal songs from Buffy that I always remember. It's also mm-hmm. on the Buffy album. Um, and it's just, you know, kind of music video like with with Drusilla and Spike dancing and then they pull a couple out and eat them. And it's it's amazing. That's an amazing you know, scene. That moment is something we didn't see in season two of Buffy. And it's actually the only time we see them in present time be that badass vampire couple. Because, like, obviously the beginning of season two, right? Drusilla's weak. And then the second half of season two, Spike's weak. And so I love that moment when they stroll into yeah. the bronze. I'm like, yes, this is Spike and Drew. This is like that vampire power couple that's like 
Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> and you get how completely lethal they actually are. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. Really kind of puts the fear back into Spike before the later seasons take it right back out again. Well, and he's chipped at that point, so she has to make the kill for him. And then, mm. you know, and then he, you know, of course can't help himself. Like, blood's got to be like heroin for them. So it's right. like, woohoo! <laughs> Okay, so here, this is my favorite musical cue in all of Buffyverse. This, it's so tragic and so amazing. Michelle Branch is, uh, it's Tabula Raza, where everybody loses their memory and thinks there's somebody else because of a spell that uh, Willow put on Tara to take away some of her uh, memories. Uh, so she'd stop bugging Tara about... Or she stopped bugging Willow about abusing magic. Um, and Michelle Branch was singing Goodbye to You. And after they came back, Tara realized what had been done to her and was like, that's it. We're, we've got to break up. You're you're messing with my mind. We're done. And Giles decided to leave town. And the song is playing. And you see, you see uh, Tara packing up and Willow crying and... You know, Dawn being angry and ignoring Tara as she leaves. And, you know, Giles is on the plane and they're finishing up the song. And the song pans from Michelle Branch across the bronze. And there's Buffy and Spike just leaned up on a pole, like kissing their faces off, just going (laughs) at it. And my heart was just like, I didn't know how to feel about it because I'm a Spuffy person. But I was like, you're a Spuffy person knowing that this is the worst relationship right. for Buffy ever. Right. And so you're halfway thrilled because they have such good... Sarah and James had amazing chemistry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, this is not good. Right. This is not good. But this is hot. <laughs> as as a Buffy angel girl, um, I, I was always scared that the show would have Spike and Buffy be together but it would feel forced and it wouldn't feel right so i was actually very oddly happy that that is how they got together because it was really realistic and in my opinion at that time the only way for them to be together was if it was really messed up and like not right um so yeah i could definitely see that i was actually really happy very very sad for the characters because they were both in a lot of pain but really happy that the show did it in such a realistic way I mean that's I mean that's one of the main reasons I love season six because of Spuffy, but because of the complications of Spuffy. That really it was just about Buffy's pain and how she took it out on Spike, and he was in a way the only person she could trust. Mm-hmm. But she also just just released all of her anger and her sexuality on him as well, and it's just so dark. I love it. Yes. <laughs> He wasn't right for her, but he was right for her at that particular time. Like He was what she needed to get through what she was going through. Mm-hmm. Right. And you bring up a great point. I don't, I'm not sure what she would have done mm-hmm. if he hadn't been That's there. True. Because that had to come. Mm. Who would she have taken it out on, Xander? Right, right. I, mm. I don't know. I don't think so. But you never know. Because she didn't. If Spike wasn't an outlet, Riley the, the, was gone, you know. I think if she hadn't had that outlet, she wouldn't have kind of put that on someone else. It definitely wouldn't have been Xander. I think she would have just kind of sat on it and it would have brewed for longer and then exploded in a different but probably far more damaging way. Sure, sure. Probably sometime during season, like end of season six, beginning of season seven. Uh, and finally, Angie Hart is uh, playing uh, the song Blue, which is an amazing song. Joss co-wrote Blue with Angie. 
Uh, she is a member of Splendid, who also pray, played the Bronze on an earlier episode I, and played I Only Have Eyes For You. This song appeared in Conversations with Dead People, which is one of my top ten episodes. Um, and it plays while Spike, uh, who has been um, subverted by the first and murders a young woman in an alley <sighs> while they sing this song. And it's also a montage of all the other uh, three stories that are going on. Dawn dealing with her, thinking her mother is back. Buffy talking to, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Holden. That was his name, wasn't it? Holden in the graveyard, who was uh, a newly risen vampire. And it was just so well done. Like those, that's what I enjoy about the songs that they used in Buffy was to, to punctuate moments is that Joss absolutely got what song was going to work. And God love whoever edited those montages, like from Goodbye to You and Blue. Just right. amazing. Amazing. I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but I'm weirdly obsessed with like Andrew's obsession with Warren. Um, <laughs> so oh, yeah. I love that storyline. And it's so dark that he thinks he's been haunted by Warren. So he has to kill Jonathan. Yeah. And that was, that's huge. Um, and I feel like the the lyrics for Blue fits every single storyline in that episode in a different way because yeah. they're all completely going through completely different things, but all the same thing when it comes to like death. So like that's probably my favorite song with a montage in Buffy. And I know there's amazing right. ones, but that's oh my god, yeah. You know, to your point, I think you know when you you talk about Warren and Andrew. Uh, props to Adam Bush, who playing Dead Warren yes. was just the creepiest freaking thing ever. Like, <laughs> really and was. by all accounts, and you've probably met him. I've heard that Adam Bush is a sweetheart, and he was just—he was so—he <laughs> was first of all, he was so scummy as a live Warren, and as Dead Warren, he was absolutely menacing. Yes. Like, oh. that guy has got chops. Um, and just to hit on some of the other uh, great uh, bands that were used in the show, um, just as either, you know, songs or under tracks, we had Joey Ramone, Stop Thinking About It from Beneath You, uh, the Dandy Warhols, Bohemian Like You from Triangle, uh, Nika Costa, Everybody's Got the, There's Something from All the Way, uh, Lunatic Calm, Sound of the Revolution from As You Were, Blur, who I love. That's Damon. That's Damon Alborn, I believe. Yep. Uh, it was his first band. He's yeah. part of Gorillas now, or the leader of Gorillas. Uh, there, there is no other way from Triangle. Allison Krauss. This was actually a moment from Entropy. I, I can't remember what was going on, but I very clearly remember Allison Krauss's song "What Kind of Love" playing while something just completely heartbreaking happened. <laughs> <laughs> that narrows it down to just about every other. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's only you know out of out of you know 156 episodes, it's 150. Uh, Sarah McLaughlin. Okay, so Sarah, big act, obviously, still a recognizable name, but she was huge in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, she uh, had the honor of having songs on two series uh, season finales uh, from Becoming Part 2, obviously, Full of Grace, While Buffy Left Town, and at the end of Grave, Prayer of St. Francis, when Xander talks Willow down and Buffy leads Dawn out of the the underground wherever they are where the bringers were and you know just really really great songs for for season finales yeah i can't even picture the season two finale without that song yeah 
Everybody says season two finale. All I see is Buffy on the on the bus with the song playing, with the landscape going by in the background. Just immediately, that's where my brain goes. This is going to make me start rewatching Buffy again. Just remembering all these like amazing, poignant moments from the series. And do you know I pulled? So I did the songs. I pulled all those from memory. Like I didn't have to go Dang. look or anything. I just those yeah. those are what I remember. Props to you, man. Oh man, I love I love the song. I just love the musical cues and Buffy. They were just so well done. Well, we are going to move on to the composers for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Such great music. Uh, so Walter Murphy did the music for wow the music for season <laughs> seasons one and parts of season two. Christoph Beck, he's the sound of Buffy. I know he's <laughs> everything. During his tenure as Buffy house composer, Beck drew a fair amount of praise from fans of the show and was regarded as regarded as having contributed the highest quality of music. Beck was the main composer on Buffy during season two through four. He composed two more episodes after that, The Gift, Chef's Ugh. Kiss, and Once Ugh. More with Feeling, oh, which Ugh. which was a contractual obligation, having signed on before he left the series. That's actually really interesting. I'd love to know the story behind that. Um, also, in early February 2018, La La Land Records released a limited edition four-CD set of scoring from the show, including many of the suites from the two promotional score CDs, as well as some new cues and scoring by other composers and Carter Burwell score from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer film. Uh, he composed many memorable scores, and which we'll get to in a second. So, Christoph Beck. Yes, the gift. we would love to Just have him. Gift. No. We'd love to have Just him on the, the Never. The gift, my God. I have to wonder if when it says he was contractually obliged to do once more with a feeling, if that's because when he came back for the gift, Joss was like, "Look, I'm gonna while I've got uh, you here, I'm just gonna say, season six, we're doing a musical." you're doing the music here's a contract sign it it's a bit at the bottom right Put in any freaking number we'll pay you just come back to score yeah like musical. like you can't do the gift until you sign this for also doing what's worth feeling <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that makes sense and i'm so glad i can't imagine once more a feeling without him like <sighs> okay did he appear in once more with feeling too like was it wasn't he a piano player or something in it? I can't remember. Wouldn't surprise me. There's, there's quite a few. Uh, I think uh, David Fury, the producer, is a uh, mustard guy. Yep, yep. Yeah, he's mustard guy. Marty was parking ticket parking girl. Parking ticket girl. Marty Noxon. <laughs> yeah. And I love uh, how they're both in Doctor Horrible, but we could also talk about that for a million years. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we will in about and we will. three sections. <laughs> yes. Um... So yeah, we'll talk more about Christoph Beck in a second. Um, Thomas Wanker, he did the music for season five and six. He was the main composer for the majority of the fifth and sixth seasons of Buffy. His work tended to be subtle and he thrived in unassuming, mysterious underscore. Some of his best work appears in the tragic melodies, which are used in musical montages shown along when Buffy and Don are coping with their mother's illness, Riley's feelings of alienation from Buffy. Um, now that I think about it, I can't even think of stuff from season five and six, but I actually love that because I think it fit those seasons really well. Um, then Douglas Romain, season seven. He was hired by Joss to score episodes during season seven before Robert Duncan was brought on. He was once the associate... Wow. He was the associate music director on Once More a Feeling, which was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Music Direction. He also arranged Joss's song, Mrs. in Selfless. Cool. 
Cool. Cool little tidbits. And then finally, Robert Duncan in season seven. He scored episode two and episodes four through 22 of season seven. <sighs> Memorable scores are chosen Buffy and Spike's love theme and Every Girl a Slayer, which plays while Buffy proposes her idea to overcome the first. So that score chosen that was playing in the, in the final battle sequence not only is it amazing, it just, I can't even hear it without like crying. It's so many people have reused it since Buffy. Huh. I've heard that score on wow. a ton of things. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's such an emotive piece. Like, let's talk about how music can really kind of stir the emotions. It is one of the most emotive kind of t- TV scores I've ever heard. You, you can't hear it without immediately kind of picturing the cave and them all rising up and you welling up. It's just, it's. Yeah. As close to a perfect piece of music as I've ever heard in a TV show. I always felt like season seven for that part of it was so heavily influenced by Lord of the Rings, the movies. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought that score like dropped right in, like it, it was it dropped right into that niche really well. Speaking of memorable scores and scenes throughout the series, here are a few of our favorites. We have This Is Nice from Surprise, which is season two, episode 13, which was, of course, done by Christopher Beck. This is the first time we hear the Buffy Angel love theme, which I'm assuming is Gina's favorite song ever. Mm. It's (laughs) when Angel is comforting Buffy after she's had a nightmare. It's kind of it's very passionate, kind of romantic theme, but also has this kind of austerity that really echoes the complications and sort of strange part of their relationship. Next, we have one of my f- absolute favorite episodes, and this is one of my absolute favorite scores Remembering Jenny from Passion. season two episode 17 absolute perfect episode of course it's christopher beck it's the scene with uh, giles and buffy at jenny's grave and it's one of beck's absolutely most heartbreaking and haunting themes and then as i'm finding out literally the second uh, about a third of the way through we hear some soft vocals kind of start to rise in and apparently that was anthony stewart head which oh, wow. i didn't think it was possible to make that scene sadder but now that we know it's freaking Giles <laughs> singing a lament for his lost love, um, I'm gonna have I'm, I'm gonna have to take a minute and get some something a bit stronger than water to drink. <laughs> but I just love that episode because it's kind of it's, 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 it's quite a sort of generally quite a light episode. There's a few very funny scenes, and then with literally no stop, it goes straight from really really funny scene. Oh, phone, sorry, what's that? Oh shit, Jenny's dead. Everyone's sobbing. It's oh. just. And jealous watching everyone's reactions, like when they get the phone call. My God. So creepy. Just feeding off people's anguish and pain like that. Like, that's when you knew. They they talked a lot about Angelus' style and that everything was slow torture and artwork. And that's when it kind of hit home that, oh, he loves to just make people suffer. 
Like he doesn't even, he doesn't go for the fast kill like Spike. He you know he likes to draw it out and make everybody just suffer. It's like oh. In many ways, Spike is more dangerous because he's like he's in your face. He's throwing things at you, you know, blowing stuff up, shooting you, stabbing you, whatever it takes to get the kill. But then Angelus is the one that you, you never even see him coming. You're just there and suddenly all your friends are dead and your dog's hanging from the skylight. And you're like, what What the hell just happened? Oh, it was Angelus. Next up is Massacre from Becoming Part 1, which is Season 2, Episode 21, as if we have to tell you. Christoph Beck once more. Buffy is summoned to the graveyard where she fights Angelus until realising that she's been used as a decoy in order to allow Drusilla and the other vampires to capture Giles. In a heartbreaking, ironic, and so totally Whedon musical turn, Beck slides in a little bit of the Buffy Angel love theme just to hurt us with a kindness. Uh. We see the flutes and piano over the kind of heartbeat drums as Buffy arrives at the library and surveys this kind of carnage. You've got Kendra the new slayer kind of dead in a corner, Willow comatose, Xander, as usual, taking a pretty hefty injury. It's it's just an absolutely horrific scene. And I, I, at the same time, you've, you've got that that Angelus dark humour where he's fighting and Buffy realises what's going on. And she starts sprinting away and he's like, why do you always fall for it? Like, it's just such a great line because, like, let's be real here. Weren't we all thinking the exact same thing? Like, at that point, it's about the third or fourth time they've pulled that same trick on oh, Buffy. Yeah. And she still falls for it every Giles does it to time. her. Angel does it to her. Spike does it to her. Everybody, like, distracts her. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh, I gotta go. <laughs> but what makes that with Angelus so much more heartbreaking for me is that, like, she's obviously still in love with Angel. Like, no matter how many times she tries to tell right. herself, so it's like, oh, of course she would fall for it because, like, it's Angel. And speaking of horrible things that happen to good people, <laughs> our next track is Close Your nice Eyes yeah. from Becoming Part 2, which is, of course, uh. Season 2, Episode 22. Christoph Beck just ruining everything for everyone. This episode <laughs> concludes with the epic fight between Buffy and Angel. And ending with Willow restoring Angel's soul just as a Akathala wakes up and begins to consume the earth. It's that moment that Buffy realises what all this means and what has to be done in order to save the world. And so she, you know, she, she takes what must have been an absolutely impossible decision for her. Hugs Angel, pulls him clothes, close your eyes. And then she stabs him. And it's just... It's not right. I'm sorry. Like, I've got to just, I've got to take a stand here. Whedon, stop doing that to us. It's not okay. You're not allowed to hurt us like that. I just, I just remember I was, I was in bed immobilized uh, because I had an ankle surgery. And this is when I decided to watch Buffy because I had an ankle surgery. And I couldn't walk, right? For three months, I had to stay off my feet. And, I'd watched season one and that was great. And, you know, I was, I was like, well, I hope it's, you know, I hope if it's this kind of fun with an occasional really deep episode, it'll be fine, but it's not going to be everything that <laughs> everybody always talks about all the time. I don't understand. So I started season two and by the end of it, <laughs> I was just sitting in bed after that happened, like, 
what just <laughs> happened? Like tears running down my face. Like, oh my God, <laughs> completely traumatized. And I was, I was on painkillers. Oh no, no. Because oh, I had surgery and I was just like, <laughs> and my ex-husband comes running in and he's like what is wrong did you hurt yourself and i'm like no and i just pointed at the television which was <laughs> the dvd screen or something because you know the girl are yeah. crying had already gone off Aww. the screen and, oh i was eat a hug <sighs> most appropriate oh yeah it was a mess. Wipe i was a y'all i was a mess like i haven't cried that hard i think since the only other thing that made me cry that hard was the end, the very series finale of um, Six Feet Under. And, and I cried for a completely different reason on that one. This was just, <laughs> this hit me like a back truck. And like, I've said it before, like after season, halfway through season two, I was like, oh, I'm in. Yep, I'm, yep. I'm down. So yeah, our next one is a scene we mentioned before. It's one of my favorite scenes from season three. Uh, from The Prom, season three, episode 20. Once again, of course, Christoph Beck. Buffy is given her special award as class protector. It's it's a really beautiful thing. It's very emotive. Uh, you've got these kind of soft woodwinds and strings, and it's piano and some, some quiet kind of brass accents. But it all rises to this epic crescendo as you see Buffy go from like, oh, what's new or whatever. I mean, it's it's for me, class protector. And it's like, oh, you can like the little umbrella. I know. <laughs> and I, I I remember it's in a uh, season four. We may be mentioning it later on, but probably not. Uh, in that episode where she fights the really, really annoying vamp lady that had that little kind of gang, when she's when she's feeling quite kind of on the outs in the start of season three before she really kind of right. gets into her groove, and it's a bit where they kind of they've got all her stuff and the the evil vamp lady kind of lifts up the award. And I'm like, if you damage that award, I am coming to Sunnydale to kill you. I don't care that it's not a real place and it's literally impossible. Reverting back to season three, so we can do this all properly. Uh, next up, we have Faith's End from Graduation Day, Part 1, Season six, uh, season 3, Episode 21. Christoph Beck, of course. Just, I mean, many people will say, probably rightly, that, you know, the mayor and the big demon, that's the villain of Season 3. But I still say the final fight between Buffy and Faith is the true kind of apex of that season. It, it's the actual, that's the real showdown having the whole kind of army rise up to take on the mayor, that's cool. That's kind of the, the final set piece, but it feels like the kind of this ridiculous, furious action music as Buffy and Faith fight. Oh, yeah. Like, she, you know, she's trying to get Faith's blood so she can save Angel, and Faith knows that, and they're fighting, and Buffy, Buffy wins, but then Faith's like, eh, I'm the one that really wins, and leaves so that she can't get the blood. It's just, ah. Oh. Oh yeah, because you didn't know you didn't know who was going to win that. Like at the end of season three, you knew because uh, they they always win. They always you know d- uh, divert the apocalypse somehow. But could she beat Faith? Could she? D- did she have it in her to beat Faith? Like, mm. and when she stabbed her, I was just like, oh, she does <laughs> yeah. have it in her with with the mayor's gift and everything with that not just- with that bad badass knife like ugh, just that the uh, the iconic with thing with that knife is faith smelling it when the mayor gives it to her oh just, my god yes ugh, yes like that just ugh, just like dang eliza <laughs> next up from one of the legendary episodes demon got your tongue from hush 
Season 4, Episode 10. Christoph Beck again. Buffy and Willow awake in their dorm room to find they're voiceless. The, the music matches this perplexity and then darkening in from kind of quirky, you, what's going on? Down to agitation and then genuine concern as they realise, you know, they, they can't talk. And I've got to say, I feel like this story needs to be said again just because it's one of my favourite ever stories. Just the power of spite. The reason we have Hush, one of my favourite <laughs> all-time episodes of Buffy, is because someone said, oh, Joss, all he can do is write good dialogue. Fuck him, he's, he's a one-trick pony. <laughs> so he wrote an entire episode with no dialogue out of spite just to prove that he could, and he nailed it. And got nominated for an Emmy for it. Yeah. Yep. And the kind of um, the kind of John Woo thing with Riley and and Buffy. Yes. Oh, you know, yes. You see where you know they turn around to attack each other and realize that you know they're. And again, I'll just I'll say it again. It's not just good because it's a, a strong self-contained episode. It's a funny episode with a good quirk that is then utilized to really push the story of the season arc forward. Oh, yeah. It's like once more with feeling. Really great episode, brilliant musical. It's, you know, it works on its own as a musical, but it also forwards the story of the season. So brilliant. Again, with Hush, brilliant standalone episode, really well constructed. But then it also is the moment where Buffy and Riley realise who each other are. And that's one of the major arcs for the whole season. It's just, uh... Yeah. And um, speaking of, we're not leaving the episode just yet. Second track from this episode, because it's that good. The Princess Screams. From Hush, season four, episode ten, Christoph Beck. Buffy finds the box containing the stolen voices, denoted by the strings, harp, and the wind. Riley smashes the box. Buffy regains her voice and then just lets out this primal scream that destroys the gentleman. His freaking heads exploding. Classic kind of horror special effects head explosions. Brilliantly done. Funny side note: that wasn't Sarah who screamed. Oh. They had to have a stunt screamer. Wow! Really? Yes. Like, Sarah screamed in the actual taping, but they wanted somebody that could sustain something much longer and uh, steadier. So they they brought, they thought about using Allie because she's the best screamer on the show. (laughs) But they ended up, I don't remember the name of the person that they used, but they used a a, a stunt screamer. (laughs) Okay, jumping forward to season five now, but still episode 10. Love Montage, this time by Thomas Wanker. Riley, upset about his standing with Buffy, has returned to Willie's vampire bar, where he allows a vampire to bite him before stalking her. The rhythmic, emotion-rich composition plays over their encounter, as we, as well as the following scene where Joyce is told the results of her cat scan. I mean, mm. it's, it's it's such a kind of such a tragic episode. You see, like sort of two lives as as they know it coming to very different sort of turning points in them, but. No one comes out of that scene better than they were to start with. It's like, you know, obviously it's, you know, the, the beginning of the end, literally for Joyce. She's, you know, seen the results of her cat scan. She knows this isn't just a headache. It's not going away. This is serious and horrific. And then you've got Riley, who at this point has reached such a low ebb that he just, he kind of, he doesn't care about his life anymore. And seeing kind of the duality of Joyce, who is now really struggling to keep what she has, and Riley, who has totally abandoned everything that he has and then kind of 
combining the two with this amazing score that manages to hit kind of both of the feelings of the scenes and bring them together it's it's really a it's a very fine line to walk but he absolutely manages absolute credit to him it's so sad to me because riley's obviously very dark at that point and i feel like that's what buffy would like for him to be is more dark and then ironically that's when they're not working out it's really fascinating well, I mean, he's obsessed with her her not letting him in and goes on this whole self-destructive dark thing because he thinks that that's what she wants, which is not what she wants. But she also doesn't, you know, she's so she, she's so inward with with struggling, which I get because I'm mm-hmm. the same way that she doesn't want to she doesn't feel like she can lean on anybody because she's this pillar of strength for her friends, for and I get that, you know, I get that Riley wants to be there for her and it's not fair of her to shut him out. But, you know, him going off and getting bit is not the way to Buffy's heart. Right. Yeah. Ironically, because she it's really kind of, likes vampires. It's kind of like she's been told this whole time, like, you're the slayer. You've got the strength and the power and you can do this. You can get through anything. And it's kind of it's put her in a situation where she kind of almost feels like she can't show her vulnerability. And then Riley's there like, please be, you know, be vulnerable with me. And she just... They can't like. I think if it if they'd met, kind of a year or so later on, she would have been in a much better place to do that. And he would hopefully, he'd probably still get have his issues because he's right. They were his issues. They weren't based on the situation. (laughs) I don't think they ever would have worked. That's uh, that's my like. As much as she thought she wanted normal, she didn't, and he couldn't. You know, the toxic masculinity got the better of him in the end. Yeah. They never would okay. have gone on kind of forever, but they would have lasted a bit longer. Yeah, they would have been and better. Speaking of, from Into the Woods, season five, episode ten. Season five, episode ten. Another score from Thomas Wanker. Uh, Riley's about to leave Sunnydale for good, just as Buffy realizes that she still wants to be with him, or so she thinks. She like hairs across town through the woods to try and reach him before he leaves, and there's this kind of piano, cello, kind of concerto melody lifting up with these heartbreaking vocals playing over Buffy's sprint to the helipad. He briefly, like there's elements of the Buffy Riley love theme woven in with kind of, you know, reminds you of the good times as you see it all collapse. Obviously I was you know, sad to see them break up, but at the same time, it kind of, it felt like that was the only way their romance, like there, there was never going to be some big, final shouting match between them. It was never going to end in a big explosion like kind of Angel or Spike would have. They were always just kind of going to peter out in a vaguely disappointing scene. Like There was there was never going to be kind of any great drama between them because I think if they were capable of that, they probably would have lasted a bit longer. But it's, uh, that scene's always... It's, it's a very mixed scene for me. Like, it's... It's sad and it's a bit disappointing and the music is amazing. But at the same time, you're just like, yeah, that's probably the best they could have hoped for. What I love about that moment is it kind of tricks the audience because I feel like uh, on purpose, we're not really rooting for Buffy and Riley. And then like Buffy and Xander have this amazing talk. Xander has amazing moments. Okay. Um, And and, like all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. She should run after him. And and, I don't know. There's so many like contrasting emotions the audience feels. So yeah, I think it's perfect how they broke up. It's actually like a, um, in a way that you would never think of. I dislike that he gave her an ultimatum. 
I, that ticked me off. Like, you know, either we're going to be together and work this out or I'm leaving. And I get, you know, Zambers up with people talk about relationships and everything. And I, you know, I, I just thought that it was kind of abrupt. And I know that they wrote Blucas off the show because everybody hated him, which I thought was a shame. I, I, mm. I don't like creatives capitulating to yeah. fan wink. Yeah. Um, totally. Very much so. But at the same <clears throat> time, that was like, uh, that was the only way it was going to go, right? Like, at some point, they weren't going to make it. And so, ripped the Band-Aid off. I felt like she didn't have time to process her anger, that she probably would have come around, but he stuck an ultimatum in her grill. And, you know, Buffy doesn't respond to that very well. Um, I was trying to put off reading this one, because... Oh! I'm not sure I'm going to make it through oh. this, but let's, let's push on. Together we can get through this. Sacrifice. Season 5, episode 22. The Gift. This was Christoph Beck. Who else could do this? Returning to score what was meant to be, and I still maintain probably should have been, the last ever episode of the series. Sacrifice is one of Beck's, but I would just say, in general, one of the most emotional pieces of music from the series. The balance of the strings, you've got the harp, it's just... It's an absolutely beautiful scene. Everything from the shot composition, the music... Sarah's monologue, which we're not going to dwell on for obvious reasons. Just everything about that scene was perfect. And then just to have this music that just so enhanced the already devastating visuals. It was just... The show could have ended there and it would have been absolutely perfect. We would have lost some amazing episodes, but we could have done them as OVAs or something. I totally lost it. 
during this finale. Yeah. It was, this is my favorite piece. This is my absolute favorite piece. I like this better than season seven. The gift uh, final song, Sacrifice, is just, uh, it, it's iconic. It's it's the best piece of music in the whole show, in my opinion. And it's used to maximum effect with, right, Sarah's monologue and, uh, and be there, live for me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Dogs. Just and then and and then it ends on the gravestone. Ah, <laughs> I pre-cry now. <laughs> like there are there are certain things I know that are coming that I just start crying for before they start because yep. I already know what's coming. <laughs> like and I always think you're gonna you're gonna get used to this and you'll stop crying and I never do. <laughs> Interesting side note: I had a really good friend uh, die from from breast cancer. And they asked me to give one of her eulogies at the funeral. And I used part of Sarah's monologue in it from the gift. And her parents loved it. They had no idea who Buffy was. And I even said it was from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And they, you know, they, they taped the, the eulogy, the whole service. Cause I spoke and another friend of her spoke and they gave me a copy of it. And I have never listened to it because I cried through the whole thing for one Aww. thing it sounds cheesy i think it sounds cheesy when i say it but it was it, i remember doing it and it was amazing and her parents loved it so much that i was just grateful that it worked for them do you know what i mean now our our final piece the in fact final piece the final fight season seven episode 22 chosen robert duncan willow spell has crit created an army of slayers strong enough to take on the first sort of vampires in addition to some grandly symphonic musical gestures duncan reprises his buffy spike love theme as the latter has just used the amulets to channel the sunlight into the hellmouth and destroy the army of uber vamps uh, the hellmouth has collapsed and takes all of sunnydale with it leaving just this huge crater that was echoed in the hearts of all Buffy fans watching this final scene. Duncan's music is just epic, summing up seven years of amazing adventures, this whole saga coming to end on a really emotive note of kind of resolve and completeness. Duncan interpolates the the melody of the show's main theme into this kind of measured, conclusive final statement of what can I be described as sublime satisfaction? I mean, I know I literally just said five minutes ago that it could easily have ended with the gift, and you know, I will stand by that, but season seven, episode twenty two, chosen, is still a absolutely stunning series finale. And I mean the fact that Joss managed to write not one, but two perfect season finales for for the same series it's just I and mean, it goes to show just how how great he can be when he's kind of on his game there are very few that can challenge him when it comes to writing really climactic epic final moments
I, the only quibble I have about the series finale is it should have been two hours. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But for what, for what it was, it was amazing. Yeah. I've read a couple of times that Sarah was like, we deserved a two hour finale and they wouldn't give it to us. Uh, Like just the theme and the metaphor of being a slayer and how Buffy's giving that power to like, oh. It, it really hits home for me. So I would say like, oh, I'm, I'm happy with season five being the end. But like just that fact alone, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool with the season seven finale. Yeah. And I wouldn't have gotten seven season six. So. I know. Season six. I mean, like, and I've said it before too. Season five is the perfect season, you know, and it's a great ender, but then we wouldn't have had two more seasons. Okay. We did a Twitter poll because Twitter polls are awesome. And we asked which season of Buffy had the best score. Season two won. That seemed to recall quite handily. Handily, absolutely. Would we all agree that season two was a very strong sounding scene season for Buffy? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to offer dissenting an opinion, but no, fair play. Season two was an excellent season. (laughs) I mean, the only season I thought that came close was five. So. Mm. I mean... If only just for <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> right. It's just for episode 22. <laughs> okay. Some soundtrack recommendations. If you, like us, wants to re-listen and just reabsorb everything Buffy. Uh, there's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the album from 1999. It's a very simple name to the point there. An album which has been on every sort of listening device I've had for a very long time. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Once More with Feeling from 2002. I would call that an essential Whedon-verse album. Then we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer Radio Sunnydale, which I didn't know existed, but I'm now going to have to go and buy from 2003. Yeah, that's a great album. And then lastly, the four-CD set Buffy the Vampire Slayer Collection Limited Edition. That one. I didn't know this existed. Neither did I, but I'm going to have to soon purchase it, even though I have my CD player. Apparently there's only like 3,000 copies of it apparently like um, it's not easy to find yeah, i gotta say it's, it's some there's some really epic set pieces and some really yep. s- some strong kind of thematic usage and i really hope I, I do really love when kind of characters and ships are given their own theme and that theme is right. weaved through the episode i really i like i would quite enjoy like just because i really want something from the nevers because we i've got an itch that needs to be scratched i would quite enjoy Maybe just having a few character themes leaked out. Like, I want to hear just anyone. <laughs> I need to hear something. Uh, Odium needs a theme. Oh, Odium yes. definitely needs a theme. Oh. <laughs> like maybe, well, let's maybe talk just... about that at the end when we talk about the Nevers. Oh, yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Good point. <laughs> All right. I'm getting ahead of us. Before we move on to Angel, one last thing that I can't believe wasn't on the list as well is Drusilla when she's dancing in the episode Surprise in season two. And she's dancing to the yes. song, uh, you already know, uh, Transylvanian Concubine by, oh, I'm yes, going to remember girl. this, by R- R- Rasputina? Rasputina. Rasputina. Oh my God. Like that song, I can't listen to that song and not think about Drusilla. Like it's it's perfect. And she's yes. so awesome just dancing and that dress and everything. Whew. What was the one? Say the one you forgot, Ty. Yeah. Or oh, yeah. Didn't um, from Doppelgangland's uh, Case Choice, Virgin State of Mind. Yep. It's in it's a great scene. It's when uh, Vampire Willow first enters the bronze. And it's just, what, it kind of got me thinking. There is no point 
when a bad guy rolls up into the bronze where they're not playing an epic song. Every time right. someone like turns up to the bronze ready to more than likely within five minutes to kill someone, the music is always amazing. Yeah. So now the other Whedon verse, wow, Buffy verse show, Angel. So the theme song is The Sanctuary, written and performed by Darling Violetta. Violetta? A dark wave band based in Hollywood, California, hey, recorded one EP (laughs) titled Parlor and two EPs, Bathwater Flowers and They Kill You EP. Their name is taken from the salutation used by Bella Lugosi in Letters to His Mistress, Violetta, I'm probably saying all of this wrong, Napierska. The band released their first EP, Bathwater Flowers, in 1997, and in 2005, the band composed an extended edition of the theme song, ooh, called The Sanctuary Remix, which is featured on the soundtrack for the series. Cool. They also appeared on the episode of Buffy, Faith, Hope, and Trick, the night that Faith arrived in Sunnydale. They performed the song Blue Sun while Faith tore it up on the dance floor with a vampire. They also performed Cure while Faith was regaling the Scooby gang about her slang history. Some composers for the series. So we had Robert Crawl, seasons one through five, and Douglas Romaine, seasons four and five. Crawl was the main composer for the series, writing the music for 112 episodes from seasons one through five, which is actually pretty cool. He was initially hired by Christoph Beck for season one with shared credit. Crawl was employed by 20th Century Fox directly for seasons two through five. So obviously it worked out. Um, Crawl worked for Beck on initial episodes, with Crawl then writing most of the episodes for season one. Crawl employed Zoran Boris and Douglas Romain to write additional music for the final two seasons. The soundtrack Live Fast, Die Never mostly consists of his scores from throughout Angel. That Ooh. is and one Romaine of the best was, soundtrack titles I've ever heard. Right? And Romain was season six, right? For Buffy, too? I believe so, yeah. Um, so Angel uh, also had a club, but it was a karaoke bar. So you didn't have as many notable songs um, in in the run of the series as you do having it like front and center for Buffy. But one of the most notable songs is obviously Vast, a song called Touched, played during season one, episode two, Lonely Hearts. Uh, this was when the the demon was uh, plowing its way through its victims. It would take their skin and uh, live in it until it started to break down and move on. And so it was a montage of this demon running through these different people while this this song played and it was kind of sad because you know it it vast is a uh, is a song about longing um and it was it, the the whole point of this um this demon was to find uh, an encase something that he could encase him so he could have a relationship and not be lonely and he could never find it and um vast was considered to to uh they were on the pilot first of all if you watch the short pilot that was for angel their songs are all over it they played here dirty hole touched and i'm dying and were they were briefly considered to be um, touched was going to be the theme song but I, I guess they didn't go in that direction but um it's vast is a, a great band they're very nine inch nails ish but but i really love um their sound the other really interesting musical point. Oh, no, no, is, no. I'm going to have a hard time talking about I this. Can't. In season five, Hole in the World, Lorne is in the, um, is in Wilferman Hart, uh, and he starts singing My, My Little Sunshine, and Fred finishes it 
finishes the song and as she's coming down the stairs to to Wesley, I guess. And Lauren, of course, being a reader when somebody sings immediately, like a shot, realizes something's really wrong and 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 looks up at uh Fred just in time for Fred to, you know, cough out blood and pass out in in uh Wesley's arms. You'll still find me for lunch though, right? I'll just look where the sun shines. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy. Get medical. Someone get medical now! And at that point, we know that whatever she breathed in from the from the the sarcophagus is in her. Uh, we don't know what it is yet. Obviously, it's going to be Illyria, and it's so heartbreaking. I mean, it's because it's just so bad. Like the editing on that was brilliant. Mm. The look that Lauren gives when he hears whatever he senses in her song is it's just shocking to him. Like he's like, oh, my God. Right. I, I love and hate that scene. Obviously, it's a brilliant scene. The, as you said, the editing's perfect. The music is perfect. It's great. But like, it's such a sweet scene. And then suddenly she's coughing up blood and dying. And it's like. You can't do that, man. My heart, my heart can't take it. Um, so uh, speaking of Lorne, uh, Club Caritas was a violence-free karaoke bar, neutral ground for every creature uh, in Los Angeles, regardless of being human, vampire, demon, run by Lorne since Carlos. So Lauren sang a lot of stuff while he was <laughs> on the show. Andy Hallett was a hell of a yeah. singer. Um, and, you know, rest in peace, Andy. Um he sang I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor in uh, season two, Judgment. He sang Lady Marmalade twice. <laughs> um, he sang it in season two, Redefinition, and then brought it back in season four, The House Always Win, was he, when he had a show in Las Vegas. Um, he sang Superstition uh, and Burned the House Down uh, by Stevie Wonder in C- season two, Belonging. Uh, he sang I Left My Heart in San Francisco by Tony Bennett in season three, Heartthrob. And in season four, he sang It's Not Easy Being Green in The House Always Wins in Vegas. Um, and he, he was amazing. He was, he, was, he was such a performer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I used to have friends that would take bets on where Andy Hallett's horns would be episode to episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Because his makeup sometimes got super inconsistent, right? Uh, but I I loved the the karaoke portion. I loved when he sang. Like it was it was such a brilliant um, uh, mechanism for him to be a reader and empath only if people sang. And so he ended up kind of being the local psychiatrist. People would come in to sing to figure out what was wrong with them. What, what I love about that. So it's weird. I watched Angel before I moved to L.A. Like right before I moved to L.A. And then when I moved to L.A. Everything hit me. I'm like, oh, L.A. has so many karaoke bars, like so many, especially in West Hollywood. And then when I've rewatched Angel, I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense now. <laughs> so I love that they had that kind of realistic aspect. Realistic, I say, is it's like, you know, run by not a human. Um but um, <laughs> I think that's that's super cool. And the fact that they made it supernatural. And like you said, Heather, they made Lorne have a, a reason for even having it, despite just having entertainment for the locals. 
So, so speaking of um, having other people do karaoke, that was one of my favorite things was having people you would never think to sing. Like who would think of angels singing angels? And and there's a running joke about Mandy being his favorite song, (laughs) but he sang Mandy in judgment to try and so Lauren could read him. And it was awful. It was just <laughs> terrible. And I, and I'm pretty sure Boreanaz could, can't sing anyway, but he really played up how bad he was. And, and it was just so off key. It does. It does vaguely sort of humanize him. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. He, he's, he's bad at something. We can like him now. It's fine. It was, it was brilliant. in it's, it's comedy. Yeah. I mean, it was so funny. Uh, in season two, of the trial, uh, once Darla had returned and been humanized, they were trying to get to the bottom of who Darla was, why she was back. And so she sang Illwind uh, by Ella Fitzgerald, which was a really great rendition of a song that's really hard to live up to. Like Illwind by Ella Fitzgerald is an iconic blues song. And and, and I really thought uh, Julie did a great yeah. job. She has a beautiful voice. Mm. Like I wish... There was an angel musical episode, but I would need Darla to be yeah. in it, and and Julia Lando sings too. So I would need some sort of like yeah. fanged for flashback song. I think I have I, I have a distinct suspicion that the reason there was no angel musical episode is because those are the only two that can sing. <laughs> we know Boreana's can't. We know um... Marsters tries, but he can't. I bought one of his albums and I was obsessed with Spike, and I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> Um, in season two redefinition, uh, Gun Cordelia and Wesley oh get up and sing "We Are the Champions" by Queen. I don't even, I don't even remember why they were doing oh, that. Were oh, they doing oh, it to get oh, red, or were no, they? It, just... it was just after Angel had sacked them all, and they didn't know they didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives. Yes. So they all separately end oh, up at Carrot Tops gotcha. and decide, and they're like, oh, they're, they're being quite kind of um, stoic about it. And it cuts away and cuts back, <laughs> and they're all absolutely hammered up on stage. <laughs> shouting we are the champions and it's just oh such a funny scene uh season two disharmony we bring harmony into the fold Uh, i love harmony oh my gosh i love harmony she sings the way we were by barbara streisand i i i didn't think anybody could murder a song harder than (laughs) than (laughs) boreanis fred in season three sang uh crazy (laughs) Uh, in that old gang of mine by Patsy Cline. I, I love that scene because she gets and she sings it and she's a kind of she's all curled into a ball and she's singing it and it cuts back to sort of the gang and Angel's there and he's like, I swear I didn't tell her she picked this all on her own. <laughs> uh, it makes me laugh every single time. Uh, and finally, LA song. Uh, we all, most of us know, Christian Kane is actually a singer songwriter and has his own band. Uh, he sang L.A. Song in Season 2, Episode 18, Dead End. It was an original song written by David Greenwald and actually performed by Christian. Um, he plays guitar, and it's alluded to that he's a musician all the, out through the show, but it was the only time we ever saw him see, see him perform a song in, you know, almost full length. Pretty girl on every corner Sunshine turns the sky to gold. One warm, it's always warm here. I can't take the cold. Streets littered with diamonds. 
everyone's glistening. So world shines so brightly. I can't see a thing. I love Lindsay. He reminds me, and I don't know if either one of you have seen Battlestar Galactica, but he reminds me of Gaius Baltar in his machination, in his motivation, because he was, Baltar was always looking out for himself and he would sell you out in a second if it meant, if it meant he, he could save his own skin. But at the same time, he wasn't, he wasn't a hundred percent evil. Like he would also do good things like. And of course, by the end, you know, um, Lindsay was a good guy for the most part, but, but, you know, it's just that moral gray character that I really love about Lindsay's character throughout most of the series that you just, he's the wild card and you don't know what he's going to do. And I've I've got to say, I'm just, I'm just so happy Christian Kane has had a career after Mm. Angel. That uh, you see people on these shows, and some of them you never you never really see again. And I, for a while, you didn't see Christian Kane, and then he he got that Timothy Hutton show, and I was so glad for him. And I, and, and he's worked steadily ever since. So it's you know just as much as I'm glad to see that um, August Richards, J. August Richards, is going really strong right now. There was a period after Angel where I didn't see a lot of him. Next up, we have a few of the memorable angel scores there's a couple of really great ones here we have hero season one episode nine also called hero by robert kroll doyle finally reveals the real reason why he was sent to angel confesses his true hybrid nature of both demon and human to cordelia and makes the ultimate sacrifice for his friends in saving a group by deactivating a bomb sent by the scourge to kill everyone my heart, God, I love Doyle so yeah. much. I love the actor that played Doyle. I loved him since he was on Roseanne. The whole thing is just tragic. Yeah. Ugh. In one of my favorite episodes of anything ever, there is a song called Rebellion. So it's in season two, episode seven, Darla. And it was uh, composed by Robert Kroll. The second part of a crossover with Buffy the Vampire Slayer that begins in Fool for Love. Fool for Love and Darla, Ugh. like... Oh my god. It's just one of those moments yes, where I'm like so good. The Buffy verse, like this is it. This it can't get better mm. than this. This is awesome. And yeah. God, just I love how they used a different composer in Full for Love and then in Darla, but it it still sounds similar, but just a tad different. So it's super cool. Then we have through the looking glass. It's in season two, episode twenty-one. Trapped in Pylea Dimension, Angel and the group work overtime to survive, and Cordelia finds herself appointed ruling princess of Pylea. And what's awesome about this song is it's almost childlike at first, and then this awesome acoustic guitar part comes in, and then woodwind instruments, and it's just like so many different styles of music all in the same song, but it fits perfectly. Yeah, so amazing, amazing music. And then we have... I'm Game, from Season 1, Episode 1, City Of, by Christoph Beck.
Mime Game was the, was the theme. You'll, you'll abs- you may not recognise the name, but you'll absolutely recognise the music. It was used throughout the series whenever there was need for a kind of heroic background music. And it debuted in the very first episode when Angel decides to fight all the evil in Los Angeles. I'm Game then plays at the very end of the penultimate episode of Angel, Power Play, as the gang decides to go for their almost surely suicidal final assault against the Circle of the Black Thorn. I love the way they kind of cool. bookend the whole series with the music. Uh, and as we mentioned before, if you want to listen to the amazing soundtracks, look for Live Fast, Die Never, 2005. It includes the score for the series and Christian Kane's L.A. song. Well worth looking out for. All right. Now we're going to move on to Firefly. Firefly, um, as we all know, did not last long. Um, it did not have the benefit of being... Um, having a bar or karaoke bar or bands or anything like that. But it did, in my opinion, have the most iconic theme song of all the Weedverse, uh, which was the Ballad of Serenity. It was written by Joss uh, and sung by Sonny Rhodes. And it's just perfect. Just, I find Angel and Dollhouse's uh, lead-ins a little forgettable. Um, I've always liked the Buffy theme song, but I never just loved it. Um, and I love the Ballad of Serenity. It has so much heart and it addresses through the music what the show kind of is thematically. It's amazing. The official soundtrack was released on November 8th, 2005 on Sarah Band label. I hope that's right. The most memorable song, again, was Ballad of Serenity. The other really memorable, probably only other song in there was <laughs> The Hero of Canton from Jamestown. Jamestown. The song was written by the Mudders of the workings of the Can- uh, Canton factory on Higgins Mood uh, in honor of Jane, who they thought uh, stole money and redistributed it to them as sort of a Robin Hood character which really Jane uh, just threw it overboard trying to escape. Jane, the man they call Jane. He robbed from the rich and he gave to the poor. Stood up to the man and he gave him what poor. Our love for him now ain't hard to explain. The hero of Canton, the man they call Jane. Jane saw the mother's backs breaking, and he saw the mother's lament, and he saw that magistrate taking every dollar and leaving five cents. And he said, you can't do that to my people, you can't crush them under your heels. So Jane strapped on his hat and in five seconds flat stole everything boss higgins had to steal he robbed from the rich and he gave to the poor stood up to the man and he gave him what for our love for him now ain't hard to explain the hero of canton What separates heroes from common folk like you and I? The man they call Jane, he turned round his plane and let that money hit sky. 
He dropped it onto our houses. He dropped it into our yard. And the man they called Jane, he turned on his plane and headed out for the stars. He robbed from the rich and he gave to the poor. Stood up to the man and he gave him what for. Our love for him now ain't hard to explain. The hero of Panton, the man they call Uh, the song makes a second appearance at the end of the episode, but this time in an instrumental arrangement and slower, more melancholy version as Jane and Mal discuss Jane's impact on the mutters and what truly makes someone a hero. It was so funny just in that whole episode to watch Jane just bathe in the glory of being a hero because he'd never been one and he clearly was enjoying himself. And kind of seeing, but seeing that's, that sweetness turned sour in his mouth as he sort of yeah admits what yeah. actually happened. It's, it's a very strong Jane episode, and I think he really needed it. Yeah, I can't wait to when we do Firefly for for the Patreon. But yeah, yeah, but yeah, it is a thing. Believe it or not, because it's you know such a truncated run, Firefly doesn't really have that many memorable scores. So instead. We're going to just discuss the scores that accompanied memorable moments or episodes and sort of go from there. Uh, I thought there were a lot of good scores in Firefly. We've got got a few here, see if you can add any more. We've got uh, Big Bar Fight from The Train Job, which you'll remember is the first aired episode, if not the first intended episode. Great episode. Great, great song, really kind of summed up the, the, the quote. It's funny how you always find yourself in an alliance bar on you day looking for an honest drink. Yes. Mal looking for trouble, as that is, always. It is a line that just kind of sums up everything that happens with Mal. We've got uh, Early Take Serenity from Object in Space, going from beginning to end here. This is when Serenity encounters Jubal Early, a ruthlessly professional bounty hunter, will stop at nothing to retrieve River. But River, feeling un- already feeling unwelcome in the ship, takes a somewhat novel approach in staying away from him. Great episode. Probably not quite the finale we were expecting, but it's the one we got, so. Was that the finale? I thought the message was the finale. Well, I know, the, I know Object in Space is the last one on the box set. I'm not sure if that's on the air, but I know that's the last episode that's is kind of on my collection. Maybe the message is the last one they shot. I thought, I don't know. I have to look at my trivia. I think the message is the last one they shot because I believe the funeral scene in the message was recorded just after they found out that there right. was not going to be any more Firefly. It was like, yeah, it was super funereal. That is that last scene where they, they, they're all sitting there. They all look really sad and it's because actually they're technically mourning the show. Right. The friend. Sad. But yeah. The, the funeral from the message, as we're talking about it, a brilliant, brilliant episode. A former independent soldier who served with Mal and Zoe returns in a somewhat dramatic manner with vicious alliance officers chasing him for some unusual smuggled goods. It's also the episode which introduces possibly the most iconic prop besides Vera in all of Firefly, Jane's hat. Yes. Brilliant, and that 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 whole funeral scene is just beautiful. And then we've got that really kind of quiet, somber music. Everyone's looking quite down, and then there's the voiceover. The, uh, the, the voiceover is just yeah, so, it's heartbreaking. I've only seen Firefly once, 
So I can't wait to do it for the Patreon. It's going to be fun. Then there's Inara's Suites, which is... It's, it's played whenever... Any scene, usually with Mal and Inara in her little pod. Yeah. Always, yeah. It's, it's always a great scene. Whenever you have those two together, it's going to be fun. And there's always that theme in the background. Yeah, it's really beautiful violin music. Is, I yeah. love it. Very fitting. Kind of it really captured Inara's character, despite being a very minimalistic track. It really manages to kind of sum up everything you know about her. Next up, we have Out of Gas slash Empty Derelict from the episode Out of Gas, considered by many to be the best episode in the show. Yes. Uh, while on its way to Greenleaf, Serenity suffers a catastrophe that leaves her crew with only hours of oxygen. As the crew struggles to survive, flashbacks show how Mel and Zoe acquired the Serenity and assembled their motley band. Brilliant. And that last scene where you realise that the, the voiceover isn't quite what you're expecting. It's it's hard to pick a best episode of Firefly, but I think we can all agree that Out of Gas is a very strong contender. And I, I do think... The uh, the music used in that is a, is a strong kind of con- um, a strong contender for why that episode is so brilliant. It's, it really kind of ties the disparate story elements together in a way that oh yeah, it's kind of required for what is essentially a very kind of fractured episode. And then the last great scene with great music is Rivers Dance from the episode Safe. Uh, Mal must choose which crew members to save when one is gravely wounded and two others are kidnapped. Simon finds an uneasy haven in a remote village, but Rivers' uncanny perceptions jeopardise the Tam's temporary safety. Great episode, and kind of the vaguely creepy theme for the town and with the reveals, is it's perfectly done. And Summer Glau gets to dance. Yay, Yay. Summer Glau always dances. I've, I've not seen a show of Summer Glau where she hasn't danced. Uh, soundtrack recommendations, if you want the Firefly soundtrack, it was released in 2005 with scores from Greg Edmondson. I would recommend you buy it, but only if you know none of the money will go to Fox. <laughs> Just stream it on Spotify. Yeah, good call. All right, next is Dollhouse. So the Dollhouse theme song is by Jonathan Brooke, and it's called What You Don't Know. And before I read the lyrics, or some of the lyrics, um, her song Inconsolable was featured in a episode of Buffy, and it was featured in prophecy girl super cool again wow i didn't know that again keeping it in the family and yeah the dollhouse theme i was never crazy about and then when i was doing research for this episode i heard the entire song and i love the entire song like i would have loved if they used any other part and not that the part they used is bad it's just like i'm just gonna read a few of the lyrics what you don't know won't hurt you. Maybe the lies are true. Try to remember, try to forget those yesterdays bleeding through. And that's just like the first verse. Like the entire song is like amazing and the and the melody's great and the singing's great. So I'm kind of I'm mad at the dollhouse theme song right now. <laughs> <laughs> so go listen to it, What You Don't Know by Jonathan Brooke. The only thing I can say that I like about the theme is it has the kind of uh, jewelry box dancer sound to it when you open it and it's got the little ballet dancer in it. It's got that at the end, which I really Mm -hmm. like. But as 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 far as the 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 whole theme song, the segment that they use has been really unmemorable to me. Yeah, I've got to say, like easily, easily my least favorite of the Buffy of the Whedon verse intros. It's like it's not a bad song. It's just it's in very strong company and it just doesn't hold up. Right. Have you guys heard the full song? No, but now I, I yeah. will check it out after this. No, but I'm going to so, go listen to it You're going to be now. so mad. 
Because I was in the same boat. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Musicals. So we're not going to spend a lot, a ton of time on the musicals because the musicals are going to be a, a standalone show, I believe. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer season six once more with feeling, of course. Um, this was uh, the except for cop rock. This kind of put musicals in a television format on the map and how it can actually work. Um, and it's inspired countless other TV shows to do their own musical episodes. And I remember Josh saying that Buffy was so dramatic that they, there, it was a no brainer to do a musical episode because everybody <laughs> was on the verge of bursting into song in the first place. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I, I get that. It's, 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 it makes sense. Um, the other musical is Dr. Horrible Sing Along, uh, blog, which was, um, written during the writer's strike. We actually, dis- uh, we discussed this on my show, uh, the Nevers cast. And, um, it was, it was done at a time. Nobody was working. All the writers were out on the picket lines trying to get a fair deal and internet properties were not covered. I don't know if they are now, but at that point they were not covered under union rules so that you could, that was an outlet for them to create. And, uh, Josh, uh, got Neil Patrick Harris and, um, uh, Marissa and Jed helped him write the, the lyrics and the, and the words and they shopped it. I just recently heard that Amazon, everybody passed on it to include Amazon. Yeah. Josh talked about that on the panel he was on with Nathan Fillion, um, for Comic-Con. So it's, it's just really interesting and it discusses, um, this kind of, uh, mid-level, uh, uh, wannabe supervillain who's really not a villain and just trying to impress the the girl who is, you know, penny paid by, play by Felicia Day, who is love and light and giving and everything pretty much he doesn't want to be. So I don't know why he thinks that she'll be interested Aww. in him. He seems to think the way, the way to impress her is to do all these villainous things, which of course is not going to work for her, but it goes through, uh, you know, him trying to impress her and her falling for the, the actual hero who's actually really the supervillain. And it's just, it's a great exercise in downtime. <laughs> um, Dr. Horrible Singalong blog was the first Joss Whedon thing I had ever seen. And before I saw it, all my friends were like, really? You have to watch it. You have to watch it. It's from the same guy that did the Buffy musical. And back then I was like, wait a minute, there's a Buffy Who? musical. I thought there was an actual <laughs> stage production. I, I knew nothing. Oh. So I was like, that does not make me want to see Dr. Horrible Singalong. <laughs> cut to <laughs> many years later well you know you know, we all have uh, oh i didn't watch i guess ty watched it when it aired i didn't watch buffy when it aired because i thought i, I saw the movie in the movie theater and i was just like i can't imagine how is this who greenlit this <laughs> and so um i didn't watch it and i don't think i could have watched it at the time i don't think we had the channel it was on because i was in I was in Louisiana of all places at the time and that their cable was the top, you know, the big four and that was it. But yeah, I finally went back and watched it because of Firefly. And then I was like, Oh my God, boy, am I dumb? (laughs) (laughs) Like, and now I have a Buffy tattoo. If that tells you anything. I did. I kind of, I sort of watched it as it aired. I've, I've mentioned this before. I watched it as it aired, but when it aired in England, it was about, two i think two maybe three seasons behind america really so like we were still in high school when america was meeting dawn so Uh, yeah 
Yeah, I mean, we will discuss this because we're going to do a whole episode of the musicals. We'll discuss it, but I just want to kind right. of put this in again. I think one of the reasons why Once More With Feeling works so well and why, in my opinion, none of the other musical episodes, especially Flash, which was god-awful, work, is that Once More With Feeling works as a standalone musical episode, but it also just works as an episode of the show. You could take all the songs out... And it would still work as an episode. And that's what I think a lot of the kind of modern musical episodes have failed to do. They always just make sure. them silly standalone episodes. And that's why they fail where Joss succeeded. But we'll cover that more later on. For now, we will discuss Joss's film soundtracks. Very cool. We had uh, Serenity, which was done by David Newman in 2005. Avengers, which was, of course, Alan Silvestri in 2012, just a brief quote. The most satisfying thing about the Avengers is that soon I will finish it, he said with a weary smile. That's quite an undertaking, although listening to Alan Silvestri conduct an 80-piece orchestra didn't suck. It was really a beautiful experience, he said, of watching the Oscar-nominated composer at work. He did such a great job. You're listening to live music and watching your movie form in a way that it just it doesn't until it has that music. That was exciting. And that's a quote from Joss on alansylvestri.com. And then, in what I still consider to be his most underrated film, yes. it's just brilliant. 2012's Much Ado About Nothing, which has the score by Joss Whedon, because not content with just making a, a, you know, the best adaption of the bard we've seen on the screen, he also thought, why not? I'll do the music as well. And then we have um, Age of Ultron, which was Brian Tyler and Danny Elfman <gasps> from 2015. Joss wasn't satisfied with what Tyler was delivering, so he brought in Elfman to redo some tracks. I really hope he didn't do the same for The Nevers, because I cannot stand Danny Elfman. I'm sorry. What? Really? I, yeah. He, it's, whenever I hear him, all I can think of is Tim Burton, and I can't stand Tim Burton either. So they're just oh, they're, wow. they're so meshed oh in my, my brain God. that I can't separate the two. So I like Danny Elfman. I don't like Danny Elfman for superhero movies. Oh my God, Spider-Man? No. <laughs> but I also, so I'm going to get around to crap for this, but I didn't care for the Avengers soundtrack. Oh my God. Oh. I, I, I thought Alan Silvestri's music was underwhelming. No, no, no. I love I loved the movie. Well, I loved three quarters of the movie. I thought the beginning was kind of slow, but... I loved the rest, like loved, loved, loved the rest of it. But I, the score just didn't do it. When the Avengers are all on that circle and the camera's going around them and that music. I know, don't get me wrong, <gasps> it had its moments, but it just, I don't know, it didn't stay with me. I think my, my summation of that is it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. Damning with faint praise. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I loved the Serenity soundtrack. I loved, loved, loved it. Yeah, David Newman did absolutely fantastic work. There's so many kind of beautiful points. Um, the, the Miranda theme, where they're walking around oh. that giant abandoned city. And right. there's just this kind of quiet music in the background. It's just... And then the way it kind of dials up when everything goes to hell. It's just... Oh, so good. And my favorite part was that. And also when um, the the ships dragging the Reavers come out of the clouds come out of the 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 fog and you, you know you see them face off in, in space and just the music there is amazing and epic and just so effective and i i just love the serenity soundtrack and i have to say uh just because i i i can never pass up the opportunity to say good things about this film the soundtrack in much about nothing I, I didn't realize that 
in addition to sort of not writing, it's doing the screenplay and directing. Right. Joss did the soundtrack for Much Ado About Nothing as well. I mean, that's just, that's unfair. But um, what I really like about the music in that is it's kind of, it's beautifully subtle. It's There's no kind of big set pieces. There's no giant sort of marching band music. It's all just, it's quite low key. And it just so perfectly fits the kind of deconstructed feel that they have in that film like it's it's very clearly a film he shot with some friends in his house over a weekend right and they could quite easily have tried to buoy it up by really going ott on the soundtrack but they didn't they kept it all quite subtle and i think that just perfectly captures the mood of the film let's wrap up we took a whole you've got a whole sort of five hour podcast now about the music of the whedon verse we can't really let this go by without saying who should score the Nevers? Oh boy! I feel like we've, we've we've touched on this a few times, but we're, we're going to do it again because I just I need to reiterate that Bear McCreary has to do the soundtrack. He just has to. He's so good with those kind of um, kind of multi layered sci fi music. He he's just. I really can't think of anyone else that has the kind of the blending of futuristic and classical that you're really going to need for this show better than Bear. Except maybe John Williams. That's because John Williams is amazing yeah, at everything. Oh, John, John Williams is too bombastic for this. Um, um, for me, I beyond love David Arnold. He did Good Omens recently. He's done a lot for yeah. the BBC Sherlock. The Victorian episode of the BBC Sherlock, I'm sorry, again, I think it's beyond amazing yeah so i think he would nail this show uh so i also would love to see bear mccrary get it i really love him ever since bsg just that tribal beat that he did for bsg is unbelievable i would also and this is way out in left field my favorite score soundtrack from a movie of all time is from the fifth element and I believe the guy that did it was named Eric Serra, and he's a French composer. And I, I just thought that listening to a soundtrack, I just, I just love that one. It's so engaging, and you can, it's so definitive that you can hear the notes in the film in the music. So, yeah, it's Eric Serra. So, so that would be really cool if they got him. I also I wouldn't mind if they brought back Newman, David Newman. Yeah. All good picks. And and obviously Christoph Beck, but we've mentioned that. <laughs> we've, I think we've now mentioned him about a hundred times in this episode, so yeah. Think... Hola, Salima, hola, Salima. <laughs> I think that's us for the day. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Feel free to drop a subscribe and hit that bell so you'll be notified whenever we upload anything. For more Nevers-related content, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at HBO The Nevers. If you want to listen to us or read some amazing articles, head over to the webpage. It's hbothenevers.com. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, send them to us at theneverspodcast at gmail.com. Heather, Gina, thank you so much for uh, coming on this epic journey with me today. Uh, do you want to kind of let everyone know where they can find you if they want to talk to you on social media? Uh, I'm Heather. Uh, 
your illustrious new host, and you can find me on um, Twitter at HMB at TNP. And that's that. <laughs> oh, I love that you're a part of this. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you could uh, follow me on Instagram. I'm Gina Gemini. Gemini spelled G-E-M-E-N-I. And I've been Tyke, and you can now find me on Twitter at Tyke at TMP. That's T-A-H-E-G-A-T-T-N-P. So, until next time, this has been the Nevers Podcast. Okay, jumping forward to season five now, but still episode ten. Love montage, this time by Thomas Wanker. Riley, upset about his standing with Buffy, has returned to Willie's vampire bar, where he allows a vampire to bite him before stalking her. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Wankers and Willies! Oh dear! (laughs) Tying is verklempt! I can do this. rhythmic (laughs) the rhythmic emotion rich composition plays over their encounter as we this episode was written and produced by Matthew Yamanashi and Heather Malone and edited by Matthew Yamanashi at Culture Inject Studios the intro and outro music was produced by Jilirme Morais we are more than just a podcast we're a fan community You can keep up to date on The Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. They're coming. Are you ready? All right. Uh, We're going to, now that Gina's been sequestered, we're going to talk about memorable songs from Dollhouse. There wasn't a whole lot, but the ones that stood out were really good. Uh, One of the most mainstream songs in Dollhouse was um, Beck's cover of Everybody's Gotta Learn Sometime. Uh, In season one, episode 12, Omega, uh, Ballard gets Melly November uh, released from the Dollhouse and Echo's imprints are erased. It's a montage. It's very sad, but a good ending to the show. So um, if you if you know the song, you can imagine it it fits beautifully and like i think they're like they, they could have gone other directions with that scene i'm very glad they chose that song and i think i'm not a huge beck fan but i think he absolutely nailed it like that is a, a really strong cover of that i'm track. a big beck fan and i thought this was a great use of of well i like beck's lo-fi stuff yeah um the, he tends to change his style every album 
Um, and some of it I'm, I'm here for and some of it I'm not. But a lot <laughs> of the time, the lo-fi and uh, uh, the information is one of my favorite albums ever by him. I'm not sure I've heard that one. Matt, check it out. Uh, so good. Um, it's like a concept album. It's crazy. I do like a concept album. Uh, the other song we want to talk about, now, this song is, is really beautiful. It's really close to my heart. It's called Remains. It was written uh, by Marissa and Jed. Um, it is the season, uh, season one, episode 13, the unaired finale, epitaph one of For Dollhouse. Um, it's the, the final song. Um, Remains is a single from Marissa um, Tancherine and Jed Whedon, and it was released on July 9th, 2009. The track was co-written and produced by them, for especially for inclusion in Ep- Epitaph 1. Um, and they Marissa sings it. So uh, it also has a music video where uh, Marissa plays like a real doll kind of thing. And Fran Kranz is the one that ordered her. And, and uh, he pulls her out of the box and uh, she's happy for a while. And then he gets bored with her and orders another one. And then she, uh, she well, I'll let you guys watch it because it's really sad. But <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that that was Marissa singing. I didn't know there was a uh, yes. music video for that. So I'm absolutely Marissa going is to... quite the, quite the triple threat. Yeah. Quadruple threat. She sings, dances, acts, writes. Rex, I mean, her and Jed are a real dream. Like I've never seen anything yeah. that they've done, either singly or together, that I dislike. Like all their stuff on Agents of Shield has been amazing. So I just got done watching. Um, I've finished season six, and I'm uh, part way through season seven. Which was season six? Season six was the the crazy uh, Diallas, the Stones, and uh fake colson the, uh, the big truck yeah, i didn't like that season so there it was very hit and miss for me yeah. but i gotta tell you marissa playing sequoia who, <laughs> who was deke's girlfriend at the startup yeah slayed me she was yeah. so funny she was yeah but yeah so uh, remains has a music video it's super good so uh you could just google moraine's remains dollhouse and mm. it'll come up and finally, um, there's also a great song called Your Ghost. Uh, sung, it's a cover, but sung by Greg Laswell, uh, closing of uh, uh, season two, episode eight, A Love Supreme. Spoiler alert. This is when Alpha wipes Ballard. 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 Yeah, that was that was a really savage scene. I'm, I'm quite I'm really looking forward to seeing... Uh, Gina's reaction when we get to that episode because she loves oh my Violet, God. So season be... two is so dark yeah so dark i can't wait there's so many horrible things for her to scream through it's gonna be brilliant but yeah um but yeah i really i really loved that that cover in there and like, it, yeah it works so well with the scene like it's such a harsh scene and then his song tr- track over the top was just yeah so perfect we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the musical episode, but the music was kind of poppy and forgettable. So we decided really not to talk about the musical episodes <laughs> or not the, it wasn't a musical, but it was, you know, the pop episode. Uh, it, it was, it was echo being deployed to protect a pop star and kind of a bodyguard sort of thing. Mm. But meh. <laughs> yeah. Like in terms of sort of the, the Whedon verse music, if like we know they can do it really well, we know they can write amazing music. 
but it really felt like that episode was them trying to write the most generic pop tracks they could <laughs> right in- insipid pop track yeah. ever well and i also feel like this was part of of the um the first five or six episodes that didn't stick yeah right the bad times all right i think that's all we got we can let gina back in we can wake her up <laughs> wake gina up <laughs> and then we're out Whew, that was epic we are now sitting at just shy of three hours and i'm pretty sure at least half an hour of that was just us laughing at thomas wanker you can't just put wanker and willie in the same paragraph and hope we survive it 